Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the Strike Zone Podcast. I'm Ted Keith. I'm Steve Canella. Steve, we're going to keep this nice and tight. Ten minutes per topic. Ten minutes per topic. The Strike Zone Podcast becomes the Three Strikes Podcast, and we have three meaty topics to break down. One, the state of the wild card with wild card predictions for each league, which two teams are going to make it. Two, Gary Sanchez, rookie of the year or not? Yes. Three, David Ortiz. Why on earth is he retiring? That's an excellent, excellent question. That's an existential question. <laughs> and we will get to that and uh, not more. That'll be exactly what That'll be exactly it. 33 minutes from now, you'll be done. On the Strike Zone podcast, starting now. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another edition of the Strike Zone podcast. I'm Ted Keith. I'm Steve Canella. Hello, Steve. Tedward, how are you? I'm doing well. It's gotten real. I don't know if you noticed... In the last couple of days, it, it did real. get real. Ten days left. Ten days left and so much to talk about. So uh, things are in flux even as we speak uh, across baseball, whether they be playoff races up for grabs or uh, uh, various other things coming and going. So we're going to keep this uh, something we don't usually do. We're going to keep it tight around We're going to be disciplined. Disciplined like a... Uh, Showing a little... Not play discipline, some mic discipline. Some mic discipline. We're going to do try and do about ten minutes on uh, three different topics and we're going to start with uh, what is really the most pressing matter in, in baseball right now which is figuring out who's going to be uh, joining the October party that we can pretty safely say will include the Red Sox, Indians and Rangers from the American League and the Nationals, Cubs and Dodgers from the National kind of League. A, not a banner year for for the division races. No, thank God for the wild card, right? Yes. For the two wild cards even. I mean, I think this would be an interesting race even if there were just one wild card, but now we know we're getting two of these worthy teams. So uh, we can start in the National League where things are... <laughs> that's a very, very loose use of the word worthy there. Uh, well, in the National League, we got three teams that are 80 and 72. Yeah. And we're, among that group are... You know, I was just if the Giants... We'll get to this, but if the Giants sneak into the playoffs, it's going to be hard pointing them as a, a worthy postseason team given the way they've played the second half. And the, the okay. Gi- the, when you agree, the narrative of the Giants season has been one of... Uh, crashing and burning the last three months? Yeah, a little bit. I mean, similar to the Cardinals, similar to the Mets, and yet those teams look up and they find themselves in, not just tied, but, you know, they're going to finish in that sort of wild card sweet spot, which is, you know, the 86 to 88 win range, probably. Right, exactly. So they're they're effectively your your classic wild card teams. What we don't have in the wild card this year in either league is sort of that runaway, that, that hard luck wild card, the one that finishes second even though they won 96 games or something like that. Right. That's not going to happen. Right. So that will make for a very intriguing wild card game, I would expect, uh, because you'll have two extremely evenly matched teams. But first got to know who's going to be playing in them. So your best guess, how do you Which of these teams, how do you these break three down teams, you know, which of their flaws scares you the least over the next 10 days? You got Ooh, good question. The well, Mets, the Giants' bullpen scares me the most the Giants bullpen by far. is very scary. The Mets' rotation is Becoming scarier by the minute. Um, Cardinals, I guess they're the least scary of the bunch, only because um, they're doing what the Cardinals always do, which is somehow find a way to do this with a bunch of guys most of America has not heard of. Um, I like the Cardinals. Really, you like the Cardinals to get in, or I like the the Cardinals to get in. They're going to, they're going to, they're going to win the 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 one spot. Interesting. Okay. yeah, I, I, you know, I probably should because they don't have a, it, like you said, sort of a glaring flaw. The bullpen and the starting rotation for the other teams, that's sort of a notable uh, thing to be concerned about. But even despite that, I'm going to say that the Mets 
win the first wild card and that the Cardinals win the second wild card and that the Giants bullpen blows four consecutive games down the stretch and prevents them from making it all together. Because there isn't a single reliever there that I would trust with the ball. And so how do you think Bruce Bochy feels about that? Uh, not great, I'm going to get. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they have more blown saves than any team in baseball, I yeah. think. He seems to anoint a new closer every Exactly. There's yeah. not, like, he tries every combination he can think of, unless Madison Bumgarner feels like pitching out of the bullpen as if he's in Game 7 of the World Series. Right. Uh, Actually, that would be great. Wouldn't it? would be great if Bumgarner pitched, like, five days in the last... Uh, Five games in the last seven days or something like that? Don't look at me, Steve. <laughs> I forgot to wear my T-shirt today. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think yeah, the bullpen, the, the Giants' bullpen is going gonna, is gonna to cough something up at a key moment. And the Cardinals, I mean, you look at their schedule. They've got the Cubs this weekend. That's a tough series. Then right. they go, they have the, they finish with the Reds and the Pirates at home. You really can't ask for a much cushier right. final. But don't uh, forget, the cushiness of the schedule works both ways because the Mets were just had three games at home against the terrible Atlanta Braves and got swept in those three games. So it's, I mean, you know, that is still a major league team on the other side of the field. I grant you that that is an edge to, you know, uh, to play a a poor team. That's certainly to your advantage, but it certainly doesn't guarantee anything either. And by the way, the Dodgers, the Cardinals get to face, they they get four games in the season's final week against, uh, we were talking about this yesterday a little bit. Definitively, the worst pitching staff in Major League history in the in the Cincinnati Reds. They, yeah. uh, there's a great piece on 538.com the other day about their war being they're 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 the, they're the first staff in history as of now. I guess they still have some time to to uh, to bring it up with a negative war, meaning they're the yeah. first pitching staff in history that would have been they're better all- <laughs> if they were all replacement level <laughs> pitchers, <laughs> which is uh, pretty incredible. And I think Joe Nuxhall is still in that's that off rotation. To Neil Payne at five thirty-eight. I think it was who wrote that. Uh, it, was, it was a great, um, that's great a piece. Read. They've given up more home runs. They've already broken the home runs allowed record. Um, what was the number of leadoff home runs that they've allowed? Something ridiculous like twenty-seven. That. I think right. That's, uh, that's a not leadoff right to the first batter. They or what was to the leadoff? They had to start the game. Yeah, it was. That's, I thought it was first batter uh, out of the bullpen. If you're the card, if you're a team fighting for a wild card spot. Or for anything, uh, or just a player looking to pad your home run stats. Yeah, uh, you can't ask for a better team to face in the final week. I, th- I mean, that should be th- at least three, probably four wins for the Cardinals. Wow. See now, but that's such a miss. That, I mean, that's a potentially huge missed opportunity if they don't do it right. Because yeah, they of get, course they get to fatten up on this terrible team, but then they go play the Pirates um, to close the season. The Giants have to play the Dodgers to close the season, and the Dodgers will be in getting ready for October mode. But if there's one team in baseball that would not... You remember a few years ago, I think Ozzie Guillen and the White Sox had this debate where they, they basically said, we're doing what we think is best for us, and that may not include um, you know, putting out our best lineup, even though the team that we're playing is fighting for its playoff life. We're doing what we think is best. You don't, I don't think you have to worry about the Dodgers doing that. They're not going to start a bunch of September call-ups if the Giants are fighting for the postseason, no. even though the Dodgers know that they're in and know what their matchup might be for home field advantage, which still has to be decided, I know, but um, you could very much see uh, Dave Roberts and you know, everybody on that Dodgers team trying their absolute hardest to to ruin the Giants' season, even in a year in which, in a time which you think their rivalry is not what it used to be. Then somebody says, "Don't look at me," and and Puig's not your friend all of a sudden. And uh, <laughs> how, we, how about, by the way, how about reboot. speaking of Puig? How about the uh, what's the uh, how do I put this? It's not a full um, resuscitation of his uh, of mm-hmm. his reputation, but it's 
Puig's gotten back in the good graces of uh, of Dodger Land in the last week or two. I would say he's had some big hits. Yeah, made a nice catch last night. Mm-hmm. He's staring down Bumgarner and then following it up with uh, some humor after the fact. Right. Um, and this is not to be confused with his catch, you know, for the Rich Hill almost perfect game. Right. Um, and a couple of big hits along the way. Since he's come back, his batting average is, you know, not spectacular. He's only hitting two oh six, but. Uh, an 888 OPS, so he's certainly contributing he's, by getting on base and hitting on power. and off the field. He's he's been making some news and become becoming a part of the fabric of that team for not entirely negative reasons, which was what he had been doing for right. the first uh, few months of the year. And I think I said this, or one of us said this, and on a podcast a long time ago, he's going to be a factor in October, one yeah. way or another. The, I think for the Dodgers to keep going in October, for them to get have a prayer of getting past the Nationals, who they're probably going to face in the first round. Um, and then presumably the Cubs after that. Dodgers need. I think right. they need his bet. I think he's going to be a key guy for them. All right, so you're going with uh, – Give me the Cardinals, Cardinals. Give me the third highest scoring team in the National League. Give me the team with the most home runs this year in the National League against four games against the worst pitching staff in the history of baseball. Okay. That's I, uh, that's a chance for the Cardinals to make up some difference. Things are harder to predict in the American League. Uh, we'll do this quickly because we want to get on to the next topic. But we have – the Orioles, or rather, the Blue Jays leading the Orioles by a game, and then the Tigers one back, Astros one back, Mariners two back, Yankees two and a half back. Of that crowd, which two teams are going to the wild card game from the American League? Jeez, I, the way that league is going, I could see the White Sox somehow climbing, <laughs> in, climbing back into the race in the, in the last ten days. Uh, you know what? They've made up a lot of ground already, so it's hard to believe they can. They still have a couple teams to, to leapfrog. It's hard to it's hard to bet against the Astros right yep. now, especially after watching the way the AL East quote unquote powers the the contenders um, in the AL East the way they've just bowed down against the best team in the American League, which is the Red Sox over the last two weeks. Red Sox knocked the Yankees out, basically knocked the Yankees out of the race. They essentially knocked the Orioles out of the division race. Um, they're going to get their shot against the Blue Jays uh, over the next over the next ten days. Right. Um, None of those AL East wildcard contenders has really shown that they that they can hang with a quality team right now, I don't think. And, this, and that, that's saying something, too, because this is an Astros team that earlier this month lost eight out of nine. Right. And they've still been managing to pick up ground simply and because they've they won six out don't of seven. Don't forget how they started the season, too. Right, they, exactly. So it's, I mean, this is a classic wildcard story, right, is that the pack, you know, sort of moves back to you at some point or another. It's just, are you in a position to do something with it? So their season is obviously... Uh, taking a turn for the better uh, more often than not. But they have been they have had stretches of, of pretty terrible baseball throughout the year. Nothing like what they did at the beginning of the season, of course, but hard to see uh, – hard to have imagined them being in this position where they were now. You could probably say the same about the Seattle Mariners. And, you know, if I were forced into making a prediction – and by the way, this is the thing about the Astros that we should – at some point we probably have talked about this. We can talk about it again, the unbalanced schedule. Yeah, It's not really – you know, no one's going to remember this except for maybe Astros fans. But the Astros are eleven and one against the Angels. They are thirteen and six against the A's. Guess who? Guess who they finish the season against? Exactly, three games against the Angels. Exactly. So they they get to play a, these two teams that they have gone twenty four and seven against, seventeen games over five hundred, and against everybody else, they're six games under five hundred, seven games under five hundred. Ted, don't you said earlier? Thank God for the wild card in terms of. Just wanting some races to pay attention to. Let's not. Let we don't want to go down this rabbit hole. The wild card, for this reason and a million others, is an inherently ridiculous exercise. 
It's fun to watch. Let's it just leave it at to that. Watch. Okay. It's totally unfair. Forget it. The interleague makes it unfair. The unbalanced schedule makes it unfair. You're competing for a spot against teams that are not playing the same schedule you are. Right. And that's not you, people talking about the NBAization of, of, of baseball's postseason and baseball schedule. And, but that's not true because essentially pretty much in the NBA, everyone plays the same schedule. Right. And, uh, or at least the teams you're fighting for the same playoff, playoff spots against. Um, it's ridiculous. But right. we're, we're going to suspend this. We're going well, to have willful suspension of not disbelief, of, uh, of, what, of reason. Well, that, that, I mean, look, the, the we, Tigers are in the same boat. They beat up on the Twins and the, uh, uh, the White Sox, I think, this year uh, to almost the same tune as what the Astros have done to those teams. It's the AL East teams that can't get out of each other's way when four of them are fighting for a playoff spot. They don't have that luxury of uh, sort of pummeling one another and getting away with it because it's that domino effect will hurt them. But, All right, uh, so what's right, your pick? Wild... You, oh, I'll go with um, – well, I'm going to say the Blue Jays. It's easy to take the team that's ahead right now but up by one game. And I'll take a team from back of the pack, so I'll say – I'll say the Tigers. Got the Astros. Astros winning number one wild card spot. Okay. The wild card game will be in Houston. I look forward to being as wrong as you are about that. We'll, we'll both be wrong together. Enjoy that Toronto-Baltimore game. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there, there are other things to uh, catch your attention in the waning days of the season. It's 2.14 in the afternoon right now. Yep. Uh, the Yankees are not playing. Has Gary Sanchez homered yet tonight, do you know? I love this debate because... Well, I would say there's no wrong answer, but there is, because if you don't agree with me, I'll just say that you're wrong. I think that Gary Sanchez is the American League Rookie of the Year. And normally I'm all about sample size. We talked about this with Zach Britton a week ago, that if a guy pitches 50 innings and another guy pitches 200 innings, that you can't you know, make up a 150-inning gap unless you're just so much better. Like if you haven't given up a run all year or something like that. But what Gary Sanchez is doing with 19 home runs, which is just absurd, in – what, less than two months now? So like 166 at-bats, I believe. Yeah. Why shouldn't he be the American League Rookie of the Year? And I look at it this way. I said this to John Taylor, our producer. Why shouldn't he be here. the American League Rookie of the last six weeks of the season? He is, but why? Not of the year. But if you're Nomar Mazzara and you're Michael Fulmer and you're all these other guys, the, the flip side isn't just that he hasn't had a lot of time to make his case. It's that you've had the whole year to make your case. And you don't think Michael Fulmer's done that? Not to the extent. He is... He started great. He's almost a five-war, five-win player, right? I know he's been he's been fine. I'm not trying to take anything away from Michael Fulmer. In in 43 games, Gary Sanchez is a three-war player. True. So now that's not to say he won't include or won't improve on that standing over the final you know 10 days of the season. I just think what he's doing is is historic. Michael Fulmer had a little bit of a historic run earlier in the year. I think for most consecutive starts of. I can't remember what it was now. Ten strikeouts or more, less than two runs or something like that. Um, but it came and went, and and he sort of fell back to earth. Maybe that'll help Gary Sanchez that he doesn't have time to fall back to earth, but that's presuming that he would have anyway. So I, I look at a guy who's going to finish the year probably with 20 home runs in less than two months, and I go, who is the best rookie? Not This isn't a value question like we argue about all the time with MVP. This is just a best rookie. And to me, the best rookie in baseball this year has been Gary Sanchez. I think you got to get credit for. I would say that if there weren't another, uh, if there weren't another quality rookie of the year candidate, Fulmer has been not just the best rookie pitcher far and away in the American League this year. He's been one of the best pitchers in the American League. P- 
period. If right. he, I think he's a little bit short of qualifying, qualifying for the ERA title. I think he'd be third if he did qualify in the ERA title. He's uh, sixth in pitching war right now. Um, not that that's the end all and be all, but right. look, uh, in some, in some, in some bizarre world, you could make an argument that Michael Fulmer deserves a Cy Young vote or two. You know, it's, right. it's not, it's not too far of a stretch. Right. Um, well, you could say the same about Sanchez for MVP. No, absolutely not. A vote? You don't think he would? Not a first place vote. You don't think he would get votes somewhere if the Yankees were to make the playoffs? I don't. Yes, I think uh, Elvis may get a vote or two as well. <laughs> People write in some crazy things. Elvis Gerback? Gary Sanchez had a great six weeks. I, nothing. I, it's he's been incredibly fun to watch. It's a historic start. I get it, but if Gary Sanchez had had this stretch from May first to June 20th, and then got hurt, we wouldn't be talking about Gary Sanchez for rookie of the year. It's right, but he's not. We don't know for sure that he wouldn't have done that. I mean, it's likely, of course, that he would have tailed I'm off, saying but we you, shouldn't, you can't say that for sure. I'm saying we should not let the, uh, the recency bias of the fact that Gary Sanchez is doing this right in front of our eyes, right when people are, have to cast their ballots and make that right. vote. That shouldn't affect your vote, especially when you have an alternative who has been very solid and very deserving of that award all year long. Okay, well, let's and, let... and he's got a rock solid case on his own. And 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 the point but about that's Sanchez, also... the point about Sanchez is if he had done if this were a great eight six to eight week stretch earlier in the season, then he he would have he's top of mind right now because he's doing it right in front of us every right. single day. But if he'd done the exact same thing in May and June and broke his hand and had to be out for the year, God forbid. We would not be talking about Gary Sanchez for rookie right. of the year. But I will okay, a couple things. He I doesn't would get say. extra points in my book for tapping to do it at the end of the year. Well, I I would give him some extra points for that because I think that, that there is a you know, all the games matter, all 162 matter, but when you're playing with only fifty games left in the season, each game takes on a increased value because you can't make up the games you've already played so in that sense those games mattered a little bit more to the Yankees because they had to make up ground and he's been the biggest reason why they have not their season has not completely ended I'll say this too to the extent that there you can compare a pitcher and a hitter you have ERA plus and OPS plus that are supposed to normalize against you know what the people around the league and adjust for stadiums as well True. are doing Michael Fulmer's ERA plus is a very impressive 136. So he's been 36% better. 100 is exactly average. Right. 36% better than everybody else in baseball over a, you know, how many starts has he made now? 24. 24. Okay. Gary Sanchez's OPS plus is 199. But again, but you're now. I know. But I now know you're comparing. Size. No, yeah. but I'm saying. But I'm saying that he's I guarantee been effectively you better twice as good. As the average major leaguer, I if guarantee only in two you, there's months. been a stretch at some point. If we want to hit pause on the recording, I will look it up. There's been a stretch at some point where Michael Fulmer has had an ERA plus, where he's ninety over a small stretch where he's been ninety percent better than the average pitcher in in the American League. Okay, well, if Gary Sanchez had that same number over, what, what let's see, what do we say? Fulmer's got twenty four starts. If so, the, right. let's say the rough hitter equivalent of that is if Gary Sanchez had a one ninety nine OPS plus over. Let's say what four hundred at bats is that the sort of the rough equivalent of uh, twenty four starts, roughly two thirds of a full time load. So you're saying how many? He had a seven start stretch in the spring where he went, he went six and one or five and one with a zero point four one ERA. So what do you think his OPS plus was over that stretch? Uh, his ERA plus? Well, his actual ERA was zero point four one. So I don't know what the conversion would be, but um, 
probably pretty it's good. Probably beyond our math skills right now, but I'm going to guess he would give Gary Sanchez a run for his money in the 190 category there. I have a feeling that, that I don't want Sanchez I, is not going to win. By the way, I'm making the case that I think that he. You can't just dismiss a guy. The race can't be over in August just because he didn't show up. And he was up for one night, I think, in April. And then that was it. But you can't declare the race over just because you weren't there in April or May. Well, then why? But Because what would be the point? Like, you don't decide awards in August. But we're not, just ta- August. we're not talking about a guy who wasn't just there in April. I mean, Mike Trout got called up, what, his, his rookie year? He got called up in the first week of May. But we're not, And we're not talking about that. We're talking about a guy who really didn't show up and start contributing until... What, a week before rosters expanded? Two weeks no, before rosters was, expanded? It was the first week of August, but I get your point. He came mm-hmm. up on August 3rd. But I, I don't disagree with you. I'm just saying it would take something extraordinary. This is what I talk about with pitchers winning the MVP award. Same kind of thing. I think it takes something extraordinary to overcome a gap in playing time. I think Gary Sanchez is providing that extraordinary something that makes up for the gap in playing so time. So then because he has a 199 OPS plus and because less measurably he kept the Yankees' very, very, very slim playoff hopes alive mm-hmm. for as long as they were alive once he got called up in August, then by that logic, he should be the MVP as well, right? Uh, no, but I didn't have any... Dis- I didn't have Why any- not? Because he wasn't there long well, enough? In that ca- well, for one thing, you're arguing then against a guy who's literally played every day. I mean, the Fulmer argument is helped by the fact that he's only made 24 starts. He's, p- he's played in 24 games. Sanchez has played in 43. No, it's not, not nearly the same comparison. You know when, you're, you know when you're arguing for MVP, pitchers take a hit every time because it's about how many... I'm not saying Fulmer should be MVP. I'm saying... No, no. I'm, I'm making the point that if, if games played, in effect, is a metric that you use, if you're arguing against an MVP-level performance with a guy who's going to play 155 games... Yeah, that is a huge difference in somebody who's played 43 games. That I, I'm not arguing about. But he's go, we're arguing against a pitcher who he's already played more games. And, and, and again, it's not like Fulmer is, being, is, is putting up some you know, historic, unworldly season. I'll give you another example. In 2012, when Bryce Harper and Mike Trout were going to win the Rookie of the Year award, everyone knew Trout was going to win, and he deserved to, and he did. He should have won MVP, too. But the NL Rookie of the Year... People thought a, a certain left-handed pitcher for the Arizona Diamondbacks had a real case that he should have been considered for, for that award. And I think voters looked at it as a chance to do something historic and vote for a guy who they knew was going to be a superstar-level player who's going to be around for a while, and it looked good for the sport to vote Harper and Trout. And you know who that guy was? Was Randy Johnson a rookie that year? Exactly. It was <laughs> Wade Miley. Yeah. How would it look right now if Mike Trout and Wade Miley were your rookies of the year that year? Look, to the extent these things matter and Wait, it doesn't that, matter I don't, a lot. But I don't, get, I don't get the point. The point is they, that— Both those guys played with Harper and Trout played nearly full seasons. The, so. point, the point is that I think voters were swayed in some level by the storyline, the narrative of what Bryce Harper is going to do is more impressive than what Wade Miley will do, so we'll vote for him. I wonder if people will do that with Sanchez and say, he's a superstar— and we'll, be, we'll have to defend this vote against him in 10 years when he's putting up Hall of Fame numbers and say, why didn't you vote for the guy with 20 home runs in two months for Rookie of the Year and Michael Fulmer who you well, know, but here's did X, Y, Z, washed out of the game or something? Here's, and Well, first of all, if people, if voters out there, neither, you, neither one of us are, are, are a voter, but if voters out there are voting for anything based on that perceived narrative you know which you know some quotient, of them are then they should have their votes taken away but okay. we'll, that, that'll, that'll be a debate for november when right. we're talking about more award stuff but um here's the thing about gary sanchez especially compared to what since you bring up bryce harper that year harper had an incredible rookie year uh if people were if any part of the fact that he got more votes than wade miley was due to this, some narrative we think bryce harper will be better down the road right which again another thing you could 
that shouldn't be what the rookie of the year. You're not voting for future MVPs. You're voting for right. who's no, the best rookie of the right, year. Right. But there is also much more at that point in Bryce Harper's track record to suggest that he would turn out to be a superstar than there is in Gary Sanchez's track record prior to August 3rd. Right. Let's not forget, before August August 3rd, you said he got called up. Yep. Before that, Gary Sanchez was he was a bust prospect. We had been hearing about Gary Sanchez as, for at least two years as the next, you know, the Gary Yankees the savior catcher. And he was, you know, as the year went on, there was this, you know, he was being tossed about as the latest product of the Yankee prospect hype machine. Right, right. Now he's turned that around, but there's, there's, he was a very solid, he was a solid player, a solid hitter at times in the minor leagues. There's nothing in his track record in the minor leagues or as a draft draft pick to suggest that he would turn into the hitter that he's been for the last eight weeks. So that's a long way of me saying I'm not so certain that Gary Sanchez is going to turn out to be a superstar. I would not be at all shocked if next year at this time we're looking back saying, well, remember that awesome 19 home run stretch that Gary Sanchez says? How come here it is two weeks left in the uh, 2017 season and he only has 11? Okay. Well, we'll maybe happens. you're right. We will see. Uh, there is precedent here, by the way. Willie McCovey was the National League Rookie of the Year in 1959. You know how many games he played in that year? Uh, I don't. 52. You know how many Gary Sanchez is going to play in if the Yankees play every single day the rest of the season? 52. I don't know. Actually, I think he'll play in 54. If 52 I'm not is his home run title. Totally. 50, 54. But, uh, well, who did, as long as you have it up, who did McCovey I do call have it the voting? Up. Who did McCovey beat? I, I have it pulled up. Thank you for asking. Um, <laughs> wait a second. I did have it pulled up. Where did it's... it go? <laughs> I know this. Hold on. Uh, Oh, it looks like Mike either Trout. they didn't he share. He beat Mike Trout that year, didn't Either he? they didn't share all. The, oh, no, he got 100% of the vote. He got 100% of the vote. Was he the only rookie in baseball that year? He must have been. 3.1 war. He batted 354 with a 1.085 OPS, 13 homers, and 38 RBIs. Gary Sanchez, for comparison, is batting 337 with 19 homers and 44 RBIs and a 1157 OPS. So right. Gary Sanchez is doing better than Willie McCovey did in a year in which Willie McCovey won the Rookie of the Year for playing in 52 games. Ted, you sprung that on me. I'm going to have to do a little more research <laughs> to poke some holes in the <laughs> Willie McCovey Rookie of the Year case. All right. Well, How many home runs did he hit? 13. And there were other rookies playing that year? One would assume. Seems odd. Yeah. Um, we can go back and look at I'm going to guess there was not a Michael Fulmer-level candidate that he was competing against for that award. You could be right. And that was very much a narrative-heavy time. Yes. Right? But it did work out in their favor. McCovey wound up in the Hall of Fame, so yes, pretty good. You try to figure out uh, <laughs> war on a on with chalk and a piece of slate. <laughs> it's very hard to do. <laughs> uh, all right, one last topic to get to on the Strike Zone podcast today: the Three Strikes Zone podcast. No, no good. Sure, no, no, that didn't work. Could do better. Um, and that is uh, the final week in the the final ten days before the final month in the career of David Ortiz. Um, do you think he's he keeps saying he's not coming back do you think David Ortiz is actually going to retire I do okay uh, I, I had a chance to see him last week I asked him I was like, I'm just half joking but you're coming back right and he, <laughs> he seemed uh, he seemed pretty adamant that he's not um, but there are two questions is he I highly doubt it should he absolutely of course I mean but that then begs the question. He's not why just having the greatest goodbye season in the history of the game. He's having 
uh, look up his numbers. You've got the computer. I don't. I, this is probably going to be what, what computer? I've been doing all this off the top of my head. <laughs> it's probably going to be his best, if not the best, one of the top three seasons of his career, right? Uh, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, he's had some pretty good years, but yeah, oh, he had probably. a fifty homer year. That's so he'll he'll be down. But uh, look, he's um, he doesn't look like a guy who. So if those are the two retired. questions, will he retire? I'll say yes to. Should he? Of course not. The question is why? Like, wh- why is he so committed to retiring when he doesn't need to? He made the announcement before he knew what kind of year he was going to have, and now he's going out and having this spectacular season. That uh, you know, by one measure, he's going to he's going to lead the league in OPS with arguably his third best OPS ever. His OPS plus figure. This is just silly. Of one sixty five. He's only had one year better than that since 2008. Right. Uh, I mean, look, he's had a lot of really good years, so top three is hard to quantify. But but why do you think he's so committed to retiring? You're close personal friends with him. Yeah. Uh, I think, well, you could, some of it I think you can see as you watch him play. Yes, he, when he's swinging the bat, he looks great. When he has to do anything else, it's not really a pretty sight. <laughs> I mean, he, he actually, I will say, he's, there have been times this year watching him from afar, I've been surprised – Seeing the way he's run the bases, you know he's he tagged up. Uh, I forget who it was against, but the game about a week ago, he tagged up from third and you know came home pretty hard. And he's not he's never been fast, but right. he, you know, for that one play, he looked hardly like the slowest guy in the league. Now, right. but I think I think he, whether he's in constant pain, I don't know. But I think he, he's had trouble with his Achilles and with his feet in the in, in in the past in recent years, and he's made no secret or about the fact that. It takes a lot just to get his body ready to play, and I think players always talk about this. It's not people um, people misunderstand what goes into the retirement conversation sometimes, and it's not so much can you still do it on the field. It's do you still have the drive, the appetite to do everything it takes to get yourself to get yourself on the field. And I think if you ask, if, you know, right now, does David Ortiz wish you were playing next year? Maybe at this moment? Sure, he thinks he can still hit. I, I know he thinks he can still hit. I don't think he wants to do the workouts all winter. I don't think he wants to go through whatever he has to go through, you know, during the day before a game to get his body yeah. physically ready to play. I think he's 40 years old. He's been doing this a long time. I think I, I think he and a lot of guys like him who make these retirement decisions, they just, you know, it's a lot of effort. Here's, Even to be a DH, it's a lot of effort. Here's uh, just, just a comparison. I, you are the Ortiz sort of expert here, so I'll leave it. You have any favorite Ortiz stories, by the way? Uh, favorite Ortiz memories? I'm going to save them. We'll talk, about, we'll talk okay. more about the Ortiz next week. Just so you know, David Ortiz from 2003 to 2007 had a 156 OPS plus, 1.014 OPS, and averaged 42 home runs a season. He was in his 27 to... Uh, 31 seasons and over the last four years when he's been what 37 to 40 he's had a 151 OPS plus he's basically exactly the same player he was now as he was in his actual prime some of us are lucky enough to have two primes Ted good for that guy <laughs> wait does that come later because I'm waiting prime. for my first <laughs> uh I I mean, He's going to be missed. The other thing that's in play here is, and I, you know, he might, he might say this. I, I, it's impossible to quantify this, but you do wonder how much of this is due to the fact that he knows it's his last year. He's just kind of there's not a lot of pressure on him. He's enjoying the ride. Like he's, look, 
is it easier to hit when you're comfortable and your mind is in a good place? Yeah, probably. And maybe there's a small part of him that's just saying, you know what, I'm just going to soak this up. I know it's the last time I'm going to do this. Like He's not playing for a contract. Right. You know, he's not. You the last few years, there's probably been some moments of tension in the year because he's he's been wondering, are they going to sign me? Are they not going to sign me for the next year? He's just there to hit right now. That's yeah. all he's worried about. And, and to try and win one more World Series for the Boston Red Sox. And I got to say, if not, uh, at least, well, not winning, but at least getting back to a World Series, it's looking pretty good for them right now, I think. It is. I think uh, I think so, too. And look, I wish that uh, every baseball player got this sort of send-off in their last year. I wish you could stay the same for some of David Ortiz's teammates on the 1997 Minnesota Twins, like Scott Stahoviak. Doug McKavich. And Pat Mears. <laughs> And Marty Cordova. What happened to Marty Cordova? He had a he had a crazy he uh, he had he was he had a crazy injury thing. Oh, I think he fell asleep in a tanning bed and had to miss games with uh, like a week with a really bad sunburn. <laughs> <laughs> Marty Cordova, you have not been forgotten. I gotta <laughs> call into the Strike Zone podcast. I gotta, I gotta look we that were... up. Um, no, but I just let's just. I'm trying to think. I guess Rivera is the last. Mariano Rivera is the last guy. Yeah, there we go. John Taylor just found it. Orioles manager uh, Mike Hargrove did not put left fielder Marty Cordova in the lineup yesterday because Cordova had been advised to stay out of the sun after burning his face in the tanning bed. <laughs> what year is that from? That's 2002. Oh, Lord. <laughs> Doctor told him to stay out of the sun as much as possible, Hargrove said. With a 12:30 game in California, it's tough to stay out of the sun. <laughs> oh, uh, poor guy. Um, where were we? Oh, yeah. so who else? Uh, who else in any sport has retired at the top of their game like this? Jeter, no. Yeah. Peyton Manning, no. The very top of their game. Even Jordan didn't go out of the top of his game. Rivera probably was pretty close. Yeah. Rivera, yeah. everyone was wondering the same thing. Why isn't he coming back? One of a kind, that big poppy. Yeah. Uh, so enjoy these last 10 days. And Kobe, then... no. Oh, my goodness. Well, the last game. I mean, the equivalent of Kobe getting 60 in his last game would be Ortiz hitting three homers or something. That's... No, no. It'd be Ortiz hitting six homers. <laughs> Maybe the Blue Jays in that last game, if the race is over, maybe the Blue but Jays just what, give him. Oh, what, yeah. What was that also? Who, uh, who the um, in the Ulster game, who, who grooved the pitch and called it a, a pipe shot? Oh, Jose Fernandez? Yeah, give him a, yeah. No, no, no. It was, uh, oh, when Jeter did it, it was, yeah, it was a, Adam Wainwright. But Jose Fernandez said he was going to groove one to Poppy in this year's All-Star <laughs> game. It just didn't work out. A pipe shot. Yeah. Uh, uh, all right, Ted. I want to uh, wrap this up and yep. uh, get my Marty Cordova on and go out in the sun. <laughs> Let's get out of here. All right, we'll get out of here. You can find us on uh, si.com slash podcasts or by going to uh, uh, iTunes, downloading them. Check us out there. Write a review. Let us know what you think. You can find uh, me on Twitter at si underscore Ted Keith. You can find Steve at? Uh, at Steve underscore Canella. And John Taylor is at J.A. Taylor. And uh, we welcome all of your feedback and questions and comments. We'll be back next week with a playoff preview edition sort of of the Strike Zone podcast. As best we can. Exactly. As best we can. Until then, thanks for listening. So long.